Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for, and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen, and remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Armand Farouk, Director of Sales at Carta. Armand and his team are experiencing rapid growth as they help companies and investors around the world manage their cap tables, valuations, investments, and equity plans. Armand started at Carta as a member of the enterprise sales team and quickly became the top-producing AE, breaking all of the records along the way. Today, Armand leads a team of roughly 40, and he's creating massive impact as they're having rapid growth around the world. He understands how to do the job, which is a big deal to me, as you know, and more importantly, he understands how to lead sizable teams, helping them do the job. He hasn't just helped Carter get into high growth mode, he is absolutely helping him stay there. Now, in addition, Armand hosts a podcast. 30 Minutes to President's Club, where he speaks with high performers in the sales world each week in a very direct, actionable format. If you're not checking out that podcast, I'm telling you, you ought to give it a listen because I found great stuff there. Um, Finally, I'm just so excited to have Armand join us today. He's going to share some of these practices he's seeing work right now, not stuff he's heard about, stuff he's using to drive high growth right now. Armand, welcome to our show, and thanks so much for joining us, man. I am stoked to be here. If you guys already had your Red Bull, you better put it down now because you got two people. You guys know I hate non-actionable sales tactics, and Rob is a true practitioner from the leadership standpoint, so we're going to get in some depth about how to lead a team. Okay, now you got me fired up. I can't wait to go. I'm excited to have you on, Armand. Our show is only talking to sales leaders and high-performing reps that aspire to be it, and, and you are absolutely doing that. You are exactly the kind of leader that I love to have on our show. Can you just give us a high level to people who might not be familiar with Carta? Can you introduce Carta and what you do for your customers? Yes. Carta helps companies manage their equity, which basically means if you think of uh, Airbnb right now, they're a pre-IPO company. They have thousands of people who hold options who have invested in the business. It gets super, super difficult to track that on the private company side. Whereas on the public side, you can click Robinhood, buy a share in three seconds. It's a nightmare to do on the private side. We make all of that stuff automated and electronic. Cool. Yeah, as a, as a founder, I can tell you that is that is a challenge. And so you're solving big problems. I can see why you're growing so quickly. Uh, congrats on what you're doing. Here, here's my next one before we start talking shop. I, I interview lots of people, so do you. I've been in the game for a long time. I still haven't met very many people who said when I was a kid, I, I grew up wanting to be a salesperson. Can you tell us kind of what your story is and how, how you got into sales and ultimately how you landed at Carta? 
No, I, I was a super out of shape, low confidence, not outspoken kid, uh, high school wrestler, college wrestler. And my first stab at sales was a financial representative job at Northwestern Mutual. And I thought it was going to be a finance internship. And then halfway through the interviews, I realized, oh, they want me to sell insurance. I became a top 2% producer with Northwestern Mutual and then eventually left to start my own company. And I was basically just selling deals. We were selling vending machines. It was hilarious. Company went up, company went down like many startups did. We had a, a decent sized exit. And then I, I really didn't understand why the business failed. And so I went to be a, uh, I wanted to work in corporate strategy, which is the job that your mom yeah. wants you to get. My yeah. coworkers were McKinsey guys, Goldman guys, Bain guys, right? It's the job that you hear about at, at school that everyone wants you to get. And, and lo and behold, two, three years later, a couple promotions in, I frankly just got so sick of two things. The first is I couldn't live my life in spreadsheets and PowerPoints anymore. <laughs> and, then, and then second of all, what would drive me crazy is I would work twice as hard as the person next to me. I would study, I would listen to podcasts, I would do all these things and I would get paid the exact same amount and it would drive me crazy. And so I came back into sales. I joined Carta, did 225% of my number. They said, take what you're doing, multiply it across 30 people. people. And uh, so here we are today. The rest is history. Awesome. Well, now that you've kind of done a level set, first of all, again, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited for you. I'm, I'm excited for your story, what you're building at Carter. I'm excited for the energy you bring and the love you bring for our, our profession. And I think we're going to talk about something that's a big deal right now. And, and, and in fact, I'll, probably we'll come back and talk about your energy because I think energy is, is an attribute for a high-performing leader, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. But we'll get there. I, let, let's talk about that. In the last 120 days, like the world flipped inside out and upside down all at the same time, right? And uh, you had your team. I don't know how much was remote and how much was, was in-house. But right now, I'm guessing you're like most of the other people I've talked to. You're leading a team that's 100% fully remote, right? Um, let's talk about that. How have you had to change your leadership style and tactics as a result of what's been happening? Yeah, Rob, we were talking about this a little bit before, but this is – COVID, and I, I really just refer to the remote environment in yeah. general, yeah. it's exposing a lot of the poor sales leadership out there. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of leaders who would just sit there on the floor, almost like a Q&A desk. And that's only part of the job where they would sit in on a deal from time to time. And they had the luxury of the FaceTime on the floor as a substitute for actual leadership. And so what happens when you go remote is all of the white space between meetings gets lost. The little interactions with your reps get lost. The day-to-day -day conversations where someone needs help with an email, all of those things get lost. And what we've done is we've created a structured cadence, which is super, super important to have structure around a rep's day when you're working remotely. And I'm happy to go into what that is. Yeah, I'd like to, I do want to get into that, but, but I really like how you, you started this that a poor leader is a dude that sits at the desk and just deal desk. You know, if you need help, I'm here. If you don't need help, I'm still just going to be here. I think you're dead on. I think too often we have sales leaders that think their job is to be a deal chaser, that if you need help, I'll be here and chase the deal. And they kind of limit it at that. I mean, if you were to prioritize deal chasing or deal helping or whatever you want to call it in that world of what's a leadership uh, role, like what are the roles of a sales leader? Where would you put deal chasing in that list so of roles? Yeah. And so you don't get me wrong. You need to sit in on at least a deal a week, if you, depending on the size of your team. It's important for sales managers to be in on calls to be there. But that is one part of the job. Coaching is very, very different from training. And that's the huge misconception that people have is people think, oh, I hire an enablement person. I don't have to do training anymore. 
And then next thing you know, enablement runs a training with no sales input and it's too theoretical. It's too abstract. And the sales manager complains. And with my team, I'm sorry, training is your job. And enablement can help you build the decks, but you're going to run the training. You're going to run the training on how to do a disco call. You're going to make your reps help you run the training. You're going to get in it and you're going to do this every single week. We're going to rotate as managers. We're doing one every single week in the month. That's four trainings. There are four managers. You're going to do one a month. And that is mandatory. You have to do it. That is a huge part of the job. So I love what you just said. So I love how you said, yeah, we got to sit in on a deal, you know, a deal a week or a deal, whatever, but it's like we're doing that so we can stay close to what's happening in the marketplace and we're staying close to what the skills look like for the rep, which I would guess you would probably tell me too probably that what, what the rep does, what their cadence is, is probably a, a really important one. But I love how you've prioritized other things. You know, what would you say the difference between training and coaching is? Because you said that they're different. I, you're picking a hot spot for me, dude, and we're going to start jumping all over the place. But what would you say the difference between those two is? A simple way to think about it is, one-to-many versus one-to-one. So coaching, one-to-one. I'm going to look at your numbers. I'm going to pick things apart. We're going to go live. It's not, it's not as structured as a training session. One-to-many is you, me, five other reps are going to get in a room. We're going to tear down a tape together. We're going to do this on a weekly basis. It's one-to-many. We're going to get other people's opinions in the room together. And yes, you can argue that there's a little bit of overlap between coaching and training. But for me, coaching is the one-on-ones, the deals where you walk in and you're, you're sitting alongside the rep. It's live. It's almost like live wrestling if you've ever been to uh, or, or sparring in an MMA drill. I love that. Yeah, my definition is uh, training is achieving common knowledge and coaching is achieving co- common practice. And common knowledge never has equaled common practice. And that's why coaching to me is so important. And what I love is this sounds to me like you've created a culture of ongoing and continuous improvement. It's not you're trained and now we'll cut you loose. You're having four trainings a month that you said, you know, something every week. Uh, You guys have created an environment. It sounds like where we are going to be helping you improve continuously. Can you talk a little bit about, about that, that cultural element of, of being a leader? Because I bet you that has had some modifications or evolutions as well as you've gone fully remote, hasn't it? Yeah, and so the, there's the stuff that happens inside of the job and then outside of the job. The stuff that happens inside of the job, I, I make it abundantly clear with my team that here's my bilateral upfront contract with you as my prospect. You are my customer, okay? Yeah. I'm going to listen to your needs and I will work with the reps to run really, really good trainings, put effort into that. I ask you to close your Slack, close your laptops and engage. And if it gets to an awkward silence, I'm going to start cold calling the team. But let's be abundantly clear that that's how we're going to run great internal trainings. If that is all you do, then that is what you will do to be equal to everybody else on the team. But if you want to be number one, and I only want to hire people that want to be number one. If you want to be number seven, don't come to the team. If you want to be number one, you got to listen to podcasts. You got to listen to this show. If you want to be in leadership, you got to study what other leaders are doing. If you want to learn about equity, learn about startups, you got to go listen to the 700 podcasts on the venture space because I came in with a pre-existing knowledge of how the venture space operated because I listened to 200 podcasts on the show. I became an expert in the space and you'll never get that just deal by deal, hoping that your inbound leads, your prospects will teach you about the space. That's a very expensive way to educate yourself as a sales rep. Hey, Armand, you have me fired up right now, man. I'm burning up my notepad as I'm listening to you. <laughs> so what, again, I was asking you about culture. You're talking to me about 
you only hire number ones and you're telling them, listen, we're going to give you these trainings as bare minimums if you want, like, just to be successful. But if you want to be number ones, you know, then, then you're going to have to go above and beyond. I call that and then some. Do what the customer asks and then some. Do what the company provides and then some. What are your and then some moments? Is and then some, is that and then some concept? Is that part of the culture you've built at, at Carta? Exactly. It's owning your own development. I'm a big fan of also in, in the light of and then wow. some. I love it when people start wanting up each other. So when our Monday morning meetings, that's our less training, more group coaching type of environment where we have everybody doing weekly commitments. And there are consequences if you don't hit your commitments and you set those consequences. My personal one is I would eat Greek yogurt for an entire day if I didn't hit my commitment. And it's hilarious. I love <laughs> seeing people in the it's so funny. I love seeing people in the room see someone hit a big commit and then someone up up them by 10 dials or up them by an extra greek yogurt or whatever that might be it's a great environment when you have people doing healthy competition against each other and that's what we've created so i love that i mean so so you now have a culture where everybody that's there is telling you or or not just telling you they're showing you they have this commitment to being top you wouldn't hire them if they wanted to be number seven number eight you don't have anybody that just wants a good job you don't have anybody that just wants their job security you've hired and created a culture of, of people that want to win people that are builders. Um, any advice on how you build that kind of a culture? Because I love it. I mean, that, and then some kind of culture and then some is often a reflection of the leader. How, how do you build a culture like that? Yeah, I, I break it down into a couple of key steps. So the first thing is, you have to build your cadence. And so get your Monday morning meetings down, get your Thursday morning sales builders down, do your Friday dial blitzes together, do your Tuesday dial blitzes together, get your cadence down so the team feels like there's a structure in place, like you are creating a path for professional development. Once you have the path set up, number two, you can probably see that I've had my fair share of pre-workout this morning. You've got to coach with some overwhelming enthusiasm. If I, a lot of people say, oh, you can be even keel, all that stuff. To me, like, look, I'm here to sell. You get your butt kicked all day on the phone. You get grilled on the email objections, seven people telling you not interested, telling you to screw off, whatever it might be. I've got to come in with overwhelming enthusiasm about the job. If I can't do that as a leader, how the heck can I expect someone fresh out of college who's been doing keg stands at a party all of a sudden get jazzed up about 300 dials a week? Yeah. It's really hard. And then the last one is you have to personally invest. And I do skip levels with every single person on my team, even though I don't manage any ICs. The third piece is you have to personally invest in people's goals. I write down everybody's goals on a slide and I make sure they know that I have them written down. And every time we meet, I go back to those goals and I say, hey, we talked about doing these four things to get you closer to these goals. Have you done those things? And by personally understanding what people want to do in their lives, you have earned the right to get behind them and very aggressively push them towards those goals. Well, you just talked about something that I don't hear get talked about enough. I'm a huge fan of skip levels. For our listeners, can you just talk about skip levels, what they are and why you do them? Yes. So I'm a director of sales. Uh, I, four managers of yep. sales report into me and then the reps report into those managers. And so skip level is basically me meeting directly with an AE or with an SDR. And why do you do them? The reason I do them is... There, it, it's, it's multifaceted. So one, there's something to be said about when I take 30 minutes out of my day or 
when people are just sometimes people are just surprised that when we had offices i would just drop by their desk and sit down next to them and i would ask them how things going i I mean it's i have got 40 people under me right i could do i mean i've got more people than i do days in a month but by (laughs) doing the little things like the little things like that that show people that i'm still in it that i'm in the ground level with them that i'm not afraid to jump into a dial blitz with them which i still do Doing that, those little things that show a personal investment in people, that's what gets them to do that one extra dial, that one extra meeting every single month because they know that I'm willing to jump for them too. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of skip levels and I, I don't see enough people doing those. And I think that's a missed opportunity. And, and uh, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, I want to ask one more, two more questions about this because we haven't even gotten in. I mean, but this is true. I mean, so let me ask you this. So in this remote environment that you have right now, do you still, how do you do skip levels now when you can't just go sit down with them and talk to them? I mean, are you still doing that? Yeah, it's on Zoom quarterly. Every single quarter, it's a recurring meeting on the counter with every new rep. Uh, it's always focused on starting with their goals. And then the rest of the time we talk about how we get them to those goals and where they're at relative to those goals. So you are aware of what the rep's goals are. I could tell you what every single person wants to do, where they want to be, how they've gotten there. Dude, that fires me up. I'm, see, here's what I found. When it comes to the world of coaching, the rookies are only looking at outcomes, and so they're only embracing the grind, you know, that. Then I got these amateurs that will start saying, well, let's try and change behavior. But very few understand that if you can change what people believe about themselves and if you can understand what they aspire to, aspirations will change change behaviors automatically and that's what you're doing and that that's what fires me up that not only are you asking your four managers to have aspirational kind of goal conversations with your reps you know what they are absolutely it it was funny when i first got that's unusual armand that's super unusual I, i i appreciate that man and it's ingrained in the sales culture unfortunately elsewhere where i was uh i just stepped into the smb role and it was my first time carrying a revenue quota as opposed to SDRs. It was just qualified ops. And so I was carrying this revenue quota and we were halfway into the month. And I, I got all these questions around like, oh, the, there's this much extra pipe and 3% more inbound versus outbound. And uh, we're at 700K instead of 702K and 70 different me- data metrics. And they're like, what do you think about this very, very tiny lever on this piece of the dashboard right here? And I'm like, guys, I'll tell you what I've been doing. I've been coaching my reps for the last two weeks, and I think we're going to have a phenomenal month. But you and me sitting here doing this dashboard exercise without any reps in the room or me doing any actual coaching or training for my team is just going to be us staring at these metrics, praying that they go up. And lo and behold, at the end of the month, post-COVID, we had our best month in 2020. Just focus on the, the right activities and behaviors up front, investing in your team, and then the things on the back end start to fall into place. It's not to be blind to the metrics. You got to look at the metrics, but very quickly use those to diagnose and get off of the dashboards and start talking to your team. So you have said, you're, this has been gold, man. This is, so you had your best month ever post-COVID? Yeah, a, a degree of that is naturally, I'm, I'm happy that the market hasn't hit Carta as much as it's probably hit other companies, but it's not like we're Zoom. Right? It's not like all of a sudden people have more cap tables, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Zoom's doing more video chats. It makes sense why they're going up. But yeah. for us, it's a, a degree of team execution and seizing the right types of opportunities that we see in the market. All right. So I know that we have, we, we've talked a little bit about leadership. We want to talk about prospecting because you're a badass at that too. But 
you are opening, you're peeling stuff back. We're going to sit in here for a second because I am digging this. I have seen, like, so I, I work with sales leaders all around the world. I'm on I, I, hundreds of them in 52 countries. And when COVID hit, it forgave the reps that were struggling the world's greatest excuse as to why they didn't hit their number. I mean, I saw people grab to that like a, a, a person dying of thirst in the desert, right? Oh, it's COVID. You just told me that you guys have increased your growth during COVID. Uh, can, you, can you talk about how you did that? Yeah, so I'll talk about the SDR team, for example. Yeah. And part of this is if you ever met Kevin Dorsey, it's called eight miling, right? Yeah. And so Kevin Dorsey is miling, a friend of our show. We love Katie. Yeah. Katie's awesome. He was on our show. He's, he's great. And he talks about eight miling. And he talks about it in the context of prospects, which means get all of your objections out before they can give them to you. You got to do that with your reps, too. And so end of the month SDR team came around and it was COVID and we had a tougher month, right? So we took that initial blip. Almost everybody in March, April took that initial blip as yep. did we. And so I got in the room. I was like, let me just like clar clarify this. Quota attainment's down. Total qualified opportunities are down. And activities are exactly the same across the team, okay? Connect rates are down. Call to contact is down, right? And so let me just acknowledge that the market is quantifiably more difficult. And so I'm going to take that excuse out of the room really quick. Okay. And so knowing that there are 3000 other sales teams who are in companies with worse balance sheets or going under or having burn rates that they can't control. We are lucky to be in a company where we sell to companies who are used to operating without money startups. Yep. And so how would you do things moderately differently if you were going to go get meetings. And so the first thing is people are like, I might have to make a couple extra calls. I might have to triple down and get a little bit more creative with my emails and say, hey, did I catch you on the way to your commute to work? Little things like that. I might have to start doing video. We had a group that started doing social selling, but it was like, guys, this is meant to be harder right now. And in three years, when you are able to say that I sold through COVID and had a higher attainment than I did pre-COVID, that is something that's going to carry with you for the rest of your life. So the long story short of it is everybody up their work ethic a little bit, right? And they were already working hard, but we had to hammer the inputs just a little bit harder and extreme tailoring and creative prospecting around video, around ABM, around uh, doing super, super thoughtful emails, trigger-based selling is something that we had to triple down on. And then we had to invest in the markets that weren't getting bombed super hard. So we hit really hard on biotech and a little bit less hard on hospitality and travel. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that's awesome. So, but what I also like about that story, I, I love the eight mile approach. I, my term for that is called get the garbage out. And, uh, and, and, and that, I love that. When you, when you get the garbage out, you put it on the whiteboard. So we acknowledge these things. I love that. And it's so good that you did that. But what I love, Armand, is how you made it a collaborative, let's all fix it together. It wasn't figure it out. It wasn't nothing's changing. It's we know something's going to change. Let's figure it out. It reminds me of when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in college. They made it illegal to dunk. A lot of people don't know this story. When he was at, when he was at UCLA, they made it illegal to dunk. And uh, he, he was pissed. He wanted to be the next Wilt Chamberlain. But he had this great coach, this, the schlepper you may have heard of named John Wooden, right? And uh, Wooden's like, no, we're just going to figure out another shot. And that's where the skyhook came from is when they made it illegal to dunk. And it changed his whole <laughs> career, okay? And so that's what you just described. 
I acknowledge these things. It may take a few more calls, but let's figure it out together. Did that have a galvanizing effect on your team doing that? Yeah, and, and then you call out the little wins. There was a Slack channel around COVID wins and all of these things. And it's like all these sales gurus out there are talking about, oh, you got to lead with empathy. You got to make sure yeah. that you're super thoughtful and crap like that. I'm like, isn't that what we were supposed to be doing all along? Anyway, yeah. And so the bombing of the TAM stopped, the, the 500 email sequences stopped, and people started writing good stuff. And then when everybody do, does that, the TAM loosens up a little bit, the market loosens up a little bit, and everybody's job gets a little bit easier. Yeah, see, I, I love that story. That's a killer story. That's one of the best stories I've heard about, you know, how you've adapted. Um, let me ask you one last question. Did you already have a, a collaborative culture? already in order to do that? Or was that a different move? Can you talk about collaboration and how you use that as a leadership tactic? Yeah, so here, here's the challenge in sales. I am quantifiably disincentivized to help the person next to me. Yep. The reason is, uh, let's say you, me, Rob, and, and three other reps are on our team. I hit my number, everybody else misses, the quota stays the same. I hit my number, you hit my number, and I help two other people at the number, the quota goes up. Yep. So it is quantifiably more difficult it is quantifiably disincentivizing me to be able to say i want to help someone out next to me right now let's put that on the whiteboard again let's get the garbage out so let me just acknowledge in every single sales training that these people do not have to give away their secrets but if you want to buy into everybody else's secrets you've got to give yours up and i know by doing my so skip good, levels I know who's good at what. I know when this guy's good on the phones. I know when this guy's good at finding accounts. I know when this guy writes killer subject lines. And I'm going to pick from the team and cold call you and say, hey, I know you can possibly help other people make money and this might impact you. I'm asking you to do this to step up as a leader because nobody gets rich as an SDR anyways. And you're going to be an AE and you're going to be thankful that you built these relationships with these SDRs because now they're going to work twice as hard for you too. And that's how you create that culture. It was not like that when I first stepped in. It took a long time to get people to open up about their secrets. Yeah, I'm telling you, you just have given me one of the best reasons to use skip levels. I always liked it to connect for the purposes of connection. And, you know, and you, you get some insights on how well you're four or seven or 10 or whatever number of managers you got. You get some insights on that. There, there's a lot of benefit there, but mostly it's the connection to the reps. But what I like is what you just said. You use it to learn the skills of what's yeah. out there, who's good at what. And then you now are able to leverage that in, in a collaborative way that doesn't have it come back to bite someone. It's it's fantastic. I, I, I like it, man. Your, your story is an exciting one to me. And like I said, I didn't expect that we would go down this hole, but it's one of the things that makes our show great. When I get uh, successful leaders like you, I love how, how you've been able to adapt and, 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 and use that eight miling approach to have your team help solve the problem and, and, and galvanize them. I, I can only imagine that they must feel bulletproof right now going through that experience, having their best year, knowing that they worked, but they didn't just work harder. It was, it was a plan that they helped engineer. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, I mean, you get the team involved and you get the team running trainings, you get them behind it. If, if you make people, Chris Voss talks about this a lot from a negotiation standpoint, make it feel like it was their idea yeah. in the first place and people will get behind it. Why do you think more leaders struggle with that? Because I talk to a lot of them, I work with a lot of them. You do too, you have your show and you have a lot of people that you work with. You know, that's, that's more unusual than normal, what you just described. Why is that challenging, do you think? 
I think that part of the challenge is sales is one of those weird spaces where you can make more as an IC than you can as a leader. And so the challenge is you get a lot of people who go down the leadership path that were on the IC mindset. Yeah. And so you get these people who are the Michael Jordans of their sales teams, or they were really good ICs, and they think that th those skills translate to management. And yes, being a good salesperson is important. I was quite a good rep myself, and I was able to drink, bring those skills to my team. But that's a small piece of the job, knowing how to sell. Yep. Knowing how to motivate people and how to run a team and how to lead a culture, that is not what a sales rep does. It's actually quite the opposite of what a sales rep tends to do, which is hunt for their own will. Yeah. And it's a different skill set, man. It's 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 just completely different from what a rep does. You're good, Armand. The more I talk to you, the more I like you, man. Uh, this has been a fun conversation for me. So thanks for opening up your playbook a little bit. Um, let's, let's, uh, is there any, if you're to talk to our leaders and you are, you got thousands of leaders right now listening to this. So I want to wrap this up and put a bow on it because we still have a little bit of time to talk about the other stuff we wanted to talk about, which they're going to also like, um, any kind of thoughts to leaders. Hey, as you're leading your remote team, here are two, three, I don't know. Here's a few things you should be doing right now. If you're not already, would you like, cause they're like a few non-negotiables or kind of a punch list of things you say, if you're not doing this, start doing this. If you are doing this, keep doing this. Any of those things? Yeah. Two types of team meetings that I would and I hate the word meetings because they have a bad connotation, it's all right. but two types of sessions that you should be holding with your team every week on your Monday morning meeting. You should be holding commits with your team and you should be holding people accountable. That should be a fun meeting. You should be doing look backs, look forwards. You should be taking commitments from the reps and making sure they hit last week's commitments. And you should be shouting out the wins, the reps of the week, every single week. If you want them to do certain things, you got to guide to that every single week in your team standup. What's an example? What's an example of commits? Just for, you know, are you talking about committed deals to close or are you talking about something else? It's always controllable things that Good. go into your sales cycle. And so, for example, it might be I'm going to hit 200 dials this week. It okay. might be every time I get into a meeting, I'm going to ask for the meeting on the books twice until I get rejected and they make me send them an email. It's things that you can control that are just a little bit outside your comfort zone. That's what I was hoping you were going to say, but I think that's important. So I have my seven deadly sins of coaching. And one of them is we have conversations, but we don't make commitments. What you're saying is you have a commits meeting. Yes. It's literally Boom. public commits. It's on a spreadsheet. It's publicly tracked. There are check boxes for every single week. I can tell you this rep has hit 80% of their commits versus 90% of their commits. And I'll, I talk a lot about, we need to increase our say to do ratio. Meaning I say I'm going to do something, but I need to actually hit that and check the box. All right. Well, what's the second kind of meeting? Sorry, I slowed you down, but I'm, I'm really, I, I dig it. It's, I think what you're doing is on the money, man. Yeah, you got to have fun with it, too. When people hit, I'm over the top. I'm saying, this guy's going to drink Greek yogurt on your behalf. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, so the, the second kind of meeting is do some sort of small group tape review. And what that looks like is I'm going to take three to four reps on my team who are grouped in a similar skill set or need to accomplish similar things relative to their goals. For example, I know there are a couple uh, reps who want to learn more about international product or they want to learn more about the mid-market deal cycle. And I'm going to get those three to four reps together in a room. And every single week, we're going to review a mid-market or an enterprise tape and we're going to tear it down. Every three minutes after the prospect gives us a tough riff, we're going to pause and we're going to say, hey, 
if you were going to drive a line of questioning after this prospect just told us something, what would you ask the prospect? Where would you take it from here? Should we say something or should we ask something? Do those tape teardowns in small groups, three to four groups, depending on the size of your team, of about four to five people at a time. And that's how you scale coaching as a director of sales is you don't have to be on an, in on every deal. I can do large scale coaching that still feels small because I'm doing it in a group of four or five people. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. We're going to, cause we only have a, few, we only have a limited amount of time before we got to get done here. I want to talk about the modern prospecting world. You're known for this. You, you run a show where you get a lot of this stuff. Uh, you built a name for yourself, but I'm sure it's changed again in the last 120 days. Can you share a little bit? Cause People on the show know this. I told you this myself, but people on the show know this. I believe that prospecting is the most important skill for a rep to have, period. I believe that when a rep lets that skill go, they've, they've slit their own throat. And so I'm really interested. What are you seeing in, in the last 120 days, the, uh, the kind of tactics or skills that are helping people, like I said with Morgan Ingram last week, play offense without being offensive? Yeah, the, with, with prospecting, I, I totally agree with you, Rob. And the, the challenge is a lot of people are trying to think like, oh, I'm going to be that Oracle rep who has five named accounts and I won't need to prospect anymore. Yeah. The bottom line is most oh, people in mid-market, even in most enterprise deal cycles, you got to source your pipe. My co-host and business partner, he's in an enterprise deal cycle. He's got to source all of his pipe. And the best reps do not just try to win off of close off of their closing ratios that is one very very small lever that you can pull that's an important level lever but prospecting and making sure you maintain your price are two far more important levers than that i love so, it on the prospecting side everyone's saying oh this lead with empathy crap and all this nonsense if i get another email why don't we start with emails and then we can go to phones okay. if i get one more email that says I hope you're staying safe and healthy in this new challenging environment or some iteration of that. I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. I've gotten 300 emails like that. 300 emails. Literally yeah, every then day. They hit the brakes, and then it's a sharp turn to the left. Now let me start pitching. You know, yep. Carta is you. the leading provider in equity yeah. software, right? Blah, That's blah, exactly blah. what I yeah. need here. That's right. right. And so instead, instead of that, all I'm going to do is I'm going to be aware that there are certain segments that aren't going to be the best fit for my business. I'm going to try to focus my good activity on the right fit accounts, and I'm going to double, triple down on my buyer triggers. So the first thing that I suggest is get your top 10 buyer triggers down, your top five buyer triggers down, have them listed out, and then buy market, buy list you pull, cross out the ones that are probably going to be irrelevant for COVID. For example, if hiring or tripling your team is probably not going to be applicable for the hotel industry, you probably want to cross out that buyer trigger. And then when you screen a list of 50 accounts, go down and rank those buyer triggers from top to bottom. And for every single one of those accounts, go one, two, three, four, five. Look for those buyer triggers and look for those buyer triggers only because you know that those ones don't try to do into Morgan Freeman's wormhole on account research and try to find every piece of information about an account. Get your five triggers down and scrub the list for those five, account by we, account by account. Can we ask a question about that? Yes. Again, for our leaders, our leaders are used to getting actionable stuff like this. And this is awesome. By the way, thank you for sharing this. Any advice on how to say, is this a real trigger? You know, because maybe you'll have some people say, hey, I think this is a trigger. How do you know if something really is a trigger? Do you have 
historical reference points, whether that's sequences that have been replied to or cadences that have been replied to or deals that have been won for a certain persona or for a certain event. For example, for us, we know that if somebody is raised around recently, that the chances of them closing are substantially higher than somebody who hasn't raised around. So go and that's the one place you actually need to do some data is go research those triggers. Make sure they're the right ones. Look at your cadences. They capture all the data. Yeah. I love that. Well, that's why I ask is, is I, I, you'd be surprised how many people just like make guesses and then go. And so what you're saying is, you know, Ronald Reagan, you know, guess and verify, trust and verify, make sure you're verifying those triggers. And and that's why you got to measure everything, right? Exactly. And that's the other thing that goes back to how do you get people to bring their tactics up to the team level is I'm going to go and look at the sequences of my reps from time to time. And if there is someone who's having a ton of success with one sequence, we got to understand what's in there and why that person's getting so many replies. And maybe it's the triggers, maybe it's the way they're writing. Let's share that with the team and then let's give them some other things so that they feel like they've been made whole. Love it. Okay. Keep going. I I sorry I interrupted, but I think that's a big enough topic that I think it's important to have our leaders and say, how do I know the triggers are right? Because if you're going to use that as a leadership tool, you better be able to stand in front of your team with confidence and say, these are the triggers, right? Absolutely. And and your team will be able to find these. Again, work with your team to get these and they'll feel bought into it. Put them on a wall, right? Your top five triggers are this. Now I've researched my list of 50 accounts. Once I find two to three triggers per account, depending on how good the account is, you got to stop. You got to time block everything two to three triggers, rank them from top to bottom. Okay. Now when I'm writing my emails, here's what you do in the subject line, no marketing headers, no increase your leads by 50% or uh, looking to automate your accounting infrastructure, leave that stuff to marketing. What do you put in the subject line? You put your number one buyer trigger that you found your top buyer trigger. If it's Rob just raised around, I'm literally going to put Rob's recent round in the subject line. And that is going to be the line that I get people to open the email. In the first body, your emails are gonna be three by three. So three paragraphs, no more than three lines each when read on your phone, so short. Context, value related to the context, and then the ask for the business. You're gonna rank your bio triggers. And in your first email, you're gonna put your best buyer trigger as your first paragraph. Rob, I noticed you just raised a round. Second paragraph, value. The reason I'm reaching out is because typically when you raise around, you have problems like this. Paragraph number three, can I get 10 seconds to see if this is even moderately helpful for you guys? And I can write that email and it will pop up on your phone and you'll be able to read the whole message. And I don't need to give you the whole litany of all the things my product can do. What's the biggest email problem you see right now? A lot of people think it's the spamming, and I think that the complete lack of tailoring is an issue, don't get me wrong. But the biggest problem for me is massive emails that are just feature dumps. If I got one tiny thing that said, hey, Armand, I noticed this about your team. I solved this problem. Those people tend to get calls with me. I might not always buy. But when people tell me that they've noticed something about my business that is related to a buyer trigger that is actually related to their problem, the problem that they solve, very few people are doing that. It's all about them. It's not about me. Love it. That's a great, great uh, suggestion. I love that email tactic. 
Um, any, anything else that you would say from a prospecting? We've got time for maybe one more if you've got another one, or if that's all you, you, you got, we can shift again. But that, that's fantastic, man. Anything on the phone that you'd share? Yeah. And so if we bleed it back to the phone, again, context, value, ask. And so this is the phone opener that I'm known for. The problem with a lot of people's openers is they start with, how's your day going? Or I'm hoping that I'm not catching you in this unsafe, uncertain environment. Or did I catch you at a bad time? It's always a bad time, Rob. Is it ever a good time? It's never a good time. And so my phone opener leads with context. So I'm going to take that number one bio trigger. And I'm going to lead with that and then introduce myself. You say the reason I'm reaching out is this? Is that what you're saying? Is, Is this trigger? So the way it sounds is, hey, hey, Rob, we work with a number of entries in portfolio companies. Or, hey, Rob, it, congrats, you guys just raised that round, man. It, it, it's amazing to see you guys doing that in COVID. It's Armand at Carta. Have you heard our name tossed around? Got it. Love and it. that's the opener. And so okay. I'm going to lead with context to get you sitting up. And hopefully that context is a buyer trigger that still works in COVID. And then... When I transition, if you've said no, well, look, the reason for my call is typically when you raise around, you have problems like X and we do Y to solve that problem. Would it be ridiculous to ask you for 10 seconds to see if this is even moderately relevant for you guys? Mm. Love it. Armand, you're a beast, man. Congrats. I I love people like you that not only are having success, but you have structures and frameworks that you can point to that have led to the success. I can see why your reps are having a good experience. I can see why they want to work in your environment. Tip of the cap to you, my friend. Thank you, man. This is uh, it's phenomenal. And you, you guys run such a good show. And I wish more leaders would listen to shows like this so they could learn how to lead. And I learn things listening to other people on here. I know you've had Katie and other folks on the yep. show. So phenomenal job to you guys. And guys, please listen, keep listening. So, so we're out of time, but I finish every show the same way. So we're doing rapid fire, quick question, quick answer, top of the top of the head. Not a lot of embellishment because we got to wrap her up. But this has been good. You ready for it? You ready for rapid fire? Let's do it. Okay, number one, biggest sales leadership challenge, and how do you beat it? Biggest challenge. A lot of people think it's managing your bottom reps. That one rep who won't hit the dials. It's the one rep who can't tailor the emails. It's actually completely wrong. Those reps tend to go from C to C plus or from B minus to B. The hardest thing is getting your A players to stick around and to go from A to A plus. So keeping your top people that I'll hear people say, I haven't done my one-on-one with this guy in a while because he's got it taken care of. I, I have the same thing. It's the biggest yeah. sales leadership mistake, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's a huge mistake. You spend them. You got to spend So here's how you get around it. You spend the most time with your top performers. You make it abundantly clear to the team why you spend so much time with these people and you give people something to go after. And then with that person, you constantly, constantly, constantly challenge them to get from A to A plus. I'm going to understand your goals again. And if you close 90% of your deals, I'm going to be like, Hey, I bet you can't close that 91%. I bet you can't. I'm going to egg you on. I'm going to go dial for dial with you and see if you can hang with the champ. We're going to have fun doing it and you're going to stick around because of that so good yeah i i I call it the number one challenge is you fail to love the love group man we 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 don't love that love group enough so it's good exactly number two okay when you're building your team and you're hiring people do you have a favorite or go-to interview question or topic and when you do what is it you're looking for yes so it's it's more of an exercise And so what I do is one thing that's really important with reps is you need to make sure that they have the mindset that they know how to take a targeted account approach. And so what that means is there are 40,000 venture backed companies out there that you can go after on any given day. How would you narrow that list down to 50 that are the ideal fit? 
And so what I'll do is I'll literally pose that to them and I'll be, and I'll say, Hey, here's a Salesforce database that I'm going to give you virtually in our conversation. Start telling me the filters you're going to put on to narrow down to our ideal customers. And so they start giving me filters and I'm going to keep going until they can get down to 50. That's going to tell me, have they done their research? Are they the type of rep to just bomb activity or do they take an analytical approach? And three, when I give them some tough objections, how do they do or how do they get resourceful when they don't have an answer anymore? Really good one. I like it. No one's ever had that that uh, that question or topic. Uh, I, I'm not surprised you have your own way of doing it, man. That's good. Okay. Giving it away to the audience now. I love Everybody it, knows man. what I'm going to ask now. That's good. Now, when you, if you got an interview coming up with Armand, you better be ready now, right? All, All right. right. You guys better do it. Last one. Leaders are readers. And we found that the great leaders never stop learning. And I don't care if it's a book that you read or if it's an audible that you listen to, or if you want to do it in bite-sized chunks with podcasts or blogs, is there like a go-to resource or book or something that you would recommend for our listeners? Have you want to up your leadership game? This is something you ought to be processing and getting your hands on. Yeah, this is an unconventional one. Okay. It's called don't sweat the small stuff. I've read it. It's fantastic. I'm glad you suggested it. You're the first one to suggest it. No one's ever suggested that one. So here's why is you and me, we both operate pretty high and we want everything to be perfect. We want everything to work like a well-oiled machine. I tend to be a perfectionist and I have problems when things go a little bit wrong. And sometimes you got to let some people be right. You got to let customers feel like they won. You got to let your rep, like they feel like they have the floor. And every once in a while you get in that internal battle with another sales manager, with the product team or with support or with implementations. And sometimes you just got to let yourself relax because if you can just not sweat the small stuff, it lets you have so much more energy and so much more fun with your team. For my personal stress, I tend to operate pretty high. And so this book helps me keep it down low and it's really, really good. It's bite-sized two page chapters at a time. There are literally a hundred tips, two pages a pop. Highly recommend. Love it. All right, man. There's going to be a lot of people interested in you after hearing this. We've got a lot of people around the world that will be listening to this show. How do they connect with you? How do they get more of you? How do they you know, pick up what you're putting down or, or continue the conversation if they want to? How, how do they do that? Two ways. So the first one is I'm super active on LinkedIn. So there's only one of me. I have a weird last name. It's Armand Farouk. So find me on LinkedIn, add me. I post angry sales tips all the time. The second is the 30 minutes, the president's club podcast. This is more geared towards rep, super actionable sales tactics. And so if you guys want more of us, you'll get all of it on that show. Otherwise DM me on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll get back to you. All right, man. This guy's helping his team grow, not only get into high growth mode, but stay there. And he's doing it by creating a culture of, and then some moments they do what the customer wants. And then some, they do what the company needs. And then some, they do what's expected. And then some, uh, they've got this killer culture where they make commitments and they keep them right. This is a guy that you need to follow. This is a show you probably need to go listen to more than once. Armand, thank you so much for joining us, my friend and happy selling. Right on. Take it easy. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first I want to thank those of you that have joined my Patreon community, Sales Leadership United. It's amazing to see the community continue to grow. We're getting more and more members each week and, and, and people really want the opportunity to go deeper. LinkedIn is awesome, but it's cluttered, it's noisy, it's limited in how much impact you can get. That's why I I created this Patreon community committed of just sales leaders that want to become legendary, okay? Uh, I I share all my very best practices, all the things I'm learning, 
uh, give you an opportunity to see some of the frameworks that are working. Uh, it's all very relevant. It's all of my very best content that I've ever created or shared on the biggest stages in the world. And it's a tool that will help you make the second half of 2020 one that you can be proud of. Um, I hope you'll give it a shot. In addition to all of that, I have a lot of exclusive stuff. I have a very, uh, a very private podcast on, on the lessons I'm learning right now. So if you want modern insights, the latest frameworks, and, and things that are just made for you, ready to go right now, check out Sales Leadership United today. Give it a look at patreon.com, Sales Leadership United. Now back to Armand. How, how great was that conversation? Seriously, I love everything about that dude. Great insight, great energy, great leader. It all made for a great conversation. And I love his emphasis on, com on creating commitments. Um, I, I, it's not something I see very many leaders focus on. You know, one of the biggest mistakes I see in one-on-one -on -one coaching is that we have conversations, but we don't create commitments. Think about it. How often do you see a rep having conversations with a prospect and building a great relationship with them, but then they only become a professional friend? And those relationships, they almost never become a commercial relationship. They'll do anything you ask. They'll go to your events. They'll let you call on them. They'll let you do ding or anything except for do business with you. That's why I call them a professional friend. And all because you have a rep that was having conversations without commitments. And as much as we see it happen with reps, I think leaders do it even more. We have conversations without commitments all the time. So right now you need to challenge yourself and say, do I have a culture based on commitments or is it based on conversations? And I would, I would suggest to you that every single one-on-one -on -one should include commitments of some kind. I don't know if you noticed, but Armand, he's so into the commitment thing, he even has meetings about commitments. And so we get good at having conversations, and, uh, and, but what we really need to do is get good at having conversations on where your rep wants to commit. Have a conversation that they get so excited about that they want to commit to it. And that's what the best leaders do. They, they're the best at getting commitments out of their reps in a way that the rep is excited about, fired up about. And it doesn't feel like micromanagement to them because the culture is about improvement. The culture is about commitment. So build an environment where these reps on your team will expect you to help them raise their individual bar, that they expect you to challenge them. They expect you to help them improve, you know, to help them find that next level and find that next gear. And, and, those that do it are legendary, okay? I, I hope you really paid attention to what Armand had to say. He was into the trainings and the tactics, and, and he really let it out and gave you a killer blueprint on ways to do that in a way that's fun. And so I love Armand. He is all about looking forward, not looking backward, and it reminds me of two mythical creatures, a Roman god and a Greek goddess. Let's start with the Greek, Medusa. If you look back at Medusa, you turn to stone. People don't want to see Medusa. They don't want to speak with her. They don't want anything to do with her because when you look at her, she freezes you right where you are. Many people, however, on the other side, don't know who the greatest of the Roman gods is. It's Janus. The reason our Roman calendar starts with January is because the month is named after the greatest of their gods. Janus has two faces, one facing forward and one facing backward. He has the ability to see your past and create any future he wants for you. And that power was so strong that the Romans would start each year by making sacrifices to Janus. They would gladly bring the best of all they had to Janus in hopes of getting something much, much better. And if you look at the pictures of Janus, the two faces, the face looking backwards is very dark and stern. And the face looking very forward is very bright and positive. 
And, and, and so I want you to think for a second. Are your conversations more Medusa-like, where you're just looking backwards and having people justify what they're doing? Or is it more Janus-like, where it's optimistic and it's future-oriented? Because I, I thought of this story as I listened to Armand. His focus on the future has him very upbeat, extremely high energy, optimistic, focused on something worth working hard for. So let's take a good look at Armand's blueprint. There's tons there. Structure, pathways, that whole concept on skip levels, his emphasis on looking past the numbers. But especially, I love how he emphasizes connecting to people rather than the numbers. Listen, commitments are the secret to consistent improvement. You've got to make commitments part of your culture, okay? They have to be something you emphasize with everyone. So learn from what Armand had to share today. I don't care if it's some of the examples he said, like getting to 200 dials or asking for the meeting twice before uh, they turn you down. But teach them uh, to get outside of their comfort zone by having them commit to things that might be just a little uncomfortable. So Armand, thanks for joining us. You know, I challenge each of you to connect with him, follow his podcast. You know, he has tons of content that will help you lead. And, and for that, I thank him. I, I, I congratulate you for your success. And thanks again for opening your playbook to our listeners. Thanks also to each of you, our listeners. I appreciate your feedback. Keep those reviews coming. You know, my offer still stands on reviewing your one-on-ones with you. Uh, if you want to have a, a, a look at that one-on-one and your structure, hit me up. I continue to get more hitting me up each week. I'd love to get more. Please, please, please reach out to me today because it's a no-strings-attached offer, and I want to help as many sales leaders as possible. So hit me at rob at exvoyant.com. Finally, here's to creating a culture based on commitments. Make sure each member of your team knows about your commitment to their success because now, more than ever, each member of your team needs to know that you have their best interests in mind. Don't make the mistake of having conversations without commitment. I wish each of you success with each of your teams. Thanks for listening, and as always, don't worry, just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.